Welcome to the latest podcast from the Plastic Surgery Journal Club. Each month we review an appraiser journal article, typically from PRS, and summarize it for you in this podcast. The full journal can be obtained from the PRS website. Hi, this is the March 2018 Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Journal Club coming to you from St. Vincent's Hospital in Sydney. This is Damien Marucci and I'm with Dr. L. Vandervoort. Uh, this paper is corticosteroid injections for carpal tunnel syndrome, long-term follow-up in a population-based cohort. Uh, this is from Evers et al. in a multi-centre study, which includes um, Rochester, Minnesota, and Rotterdam, the Netherlands. This is from August 2017. So, El, what was this paper about in a nutshell? Um, so the background is that corticosteroid injections for carpal tunnel syndrome are controversial because several studies have shown that there is only or there cannot be only sh- short term or sometimes there's only short term symptom relief um, which delays but does not obviate the need for eventual surgery or re-injection and some studies have reported between 10 to 81 percent of patients eventually going on to need some some other um, sort of intervention. Um, so this study aimed to determine the re-intervention rate post-corticosteroid injection and also to in- identify prognostic indicators for patients in whom symptoms recur post-corticosteroid injections, essentially to try and um, identify the patients that are going to benefit from this um, surgery, this uh, non-surgical option. Yep. Um, so as you said, it was a, it's a population-based cohort study, retrospective chart review using a searchable database called the Rochester Epidemiology Project. It covered a period um, of about 10 years from 2001 to 2010 and tried to pick up all of the patients um, who had been treated for carpal tunnel syndrome in Olmsted County with a, a corticosteroid injection. They included um, patients only with primary corticosteroid, uh, sorry, primary carpal tunnel syndrome, who had had no previous intervention, all adult patients, um, and they had to have had at least one day follow-up, so quite a um, short follow-up that they included. Um, they excluded any patients that had pregnancy-related carpal tunnel syndrome, who had an uncertain diagnosis, or where the volume or dose of steroid was not clearly uh, recorded. And interestingly, they also excluded any patients that had had an ultrasound-guided injection because that was the subject of another study that they were doing. Um, They did also have a comparison cohort and looked at um, patients that went direct to surgery. Um, So they randomly chose 300 of 931 patients that they'd identified in that group just as as a comparison. So they ended up with 988 cases. Um, but 126 of those were excluded. So in the end, 774 hands in 595 patients included for analysis. Um, Most of them were female, so about 70% female, mean age was 51 um, and various severity, but 41% of them, the biggest group had moderate disease. And the median follow-up was 7.3 years. Um, in terms of the measures that they looked at, the two, or the, the first ma- and the main outcome measure that they looked at was failure to treatment, and they defined that as either needing a patient needing subsequent procedural in- intervention, being either a repeat injection or going on for surgical release, and their other uh, definition for treatment failure was just looking at the patients that went on uh, to have a carpal tunnel release, regardless of the number of injections. Um, the second measure that they looked at was trying to identify was the pro- sorry was the prognostic fa- factors for failure. Okay, so what did they find? 
So they, they found that 32% of patients did not have any subsequent treatment with a median follow-up of seven years, but that left 67% that did uh, have a, another intervention, um, so either injection or a release. Um, and 62% of patients did go eventually go on to have a surgical release of um, their carpal tunnel. The mean time to failure was um, 259 days for any treatment and 446 days for uh, surgical release. Um, and they also identified, so that was in terms of the failure rate, rates, in terms of the prognostic factors for injection failure, they found that, that was, it was more likely to fail if they had more severe disease but it was inversely related to a higher injection volume. So if you had a higher injection volume of the steroid, you were less likely to, to um, fail treatment. And also patients that were injected and had um, rheumatoid arthritis were less likely to recur after um, or to go on to need some other sort of intervention. And it was also interesting that patients who had a second uh, dose of steroid injection, not all of them eventually went on to needing a carpal tunnel release. Um, so uh, that was, I thought that was interesting. You know what I mean? It's not like as if, okay, we try the steroids once uh, and okay, if that fails, you need uh, necessarily surgery. That, that some patients can be salvaged uh, in a non-surgical way uh, with a repeat um, uh, steroid injection. Okay, so what was the basic conclusion? Uh, what did the authors think they they could get from this study? So the basic conclusion was that a substantial uh, proportion of patients undergoing corticosteroid injection did not need subsequent treatment. Uh, so in a, a, in a proportion of this population, uh, they were able to avoid the need for further treatment with a single corticosteroid injection. But they also concluded that further research is needed to allow better individualisation of treatment and determine exactly who will benefit and who is unlikely to benefit so that you can proceed directly to surgery. Okay, so what, were the, what did you like and not like about this paper? Uh, the thing that I really liked about this paper is that it's a very clinically uh, relevant topic. So carpal tunnel syndrome is very common um, and a lot of patients are very keen to try non-surgical options before uh, opting for a surgical release. They also had a reasonably large cohort of patients. Uh, one thing that I thought uh, was a little bit disappointing with the study was that they did exclude the ultrasound guided corticosteroid injections because you would imagine that they would be better anatomically targeted at um, getting to the right place to be most effective but they did mention that was because it's the subject of another study. Um, I did uh, wonder about the fact that this was across the whole of Olmsted, was picking up patients that were across the whole of Olmsted County that were treated by different uh, clinicians at multiple, at, at various facilities. So I think there's a potential for great variation in injection technique and that could have um, affected the results. Um, it's also retrospective and relying on um, you know, what data that's recorded in or reported on that database. Uh, one issue that I had with it is their, their definition of success and failure of the corticosteroid injection. So they, um, they defined failure as needing a, another injection or needing surgery. But you, can, you would imagine that there are patients who are lost to follow up or um, don't, get a, don't get a response from an initial injection and are still at home with symptoms but don't actually seek any further treatment. And they, in this study, would have been, they would have, uh, been left in what was the success group, um, but really they have probably, you know, could be better defined as failing treatment.
Look, I thought this was a very interesting paper. It is a shame they excluded the ultrasound-guided uh, corticosteroid injection, because one would imagine, as you said, that's going to be putting the steroid right in the right location. That actually would have made their numbers better, I would imagine, if it's a more effective way of performing uh, a steroid injection rather than blindly uh, putting a needle in uh, via whatever technique. Um, it'll be interesting when they report the results of that uh, study. Um, but this uh, obviously gives hints that this may be something that may be amenable to a future randomised um, control trial. Uh, it was interesting that and it's a shame they didn't have a control group, as even they mentioned, uh, other studies have suggested that up you know, around 35% can actually uh, just uh, resolve uh, without any intervention at all. Um, so uh, is that what is happening with these patients who've had the corticosteroid injection, or is it the corticosteroid injection that's actually causing the improvement? Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts, head to soundcloud.com or subscribe to us on iTunes and search Plastic Surgery Journals. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks also to the PRS Journal team for their ongoing support.